from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Thinking Sideways is not brought to you by the Manganese Transporters Association of America. Instead, it's supported by the generous contributions of people like you, our listeners, on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash thinking sideways to learn more. Thinking sideways. I don't understand. Does not compute. You never know. What? Stories of things we simply don't know the answer to. Hey there, and welcome again to another episode of Thinking Sideways. I am Steve, of course, as always, joined by... Devin. And Joe. And once again, we have a mystery. Once again, we have a listener-suggested mystery. And it's an aeronautical mystery. It is. And yes, I know, there's probably somebody out there going, oh God, Steve's doing another plane mystery. But hang with us, because I actually sort of managed to find a story that combines my last two episodes. Yeah, plus aliens. Like I said, my last two episodes. Okay, fair enough. So today's story was a listener's suggestion, as I said. It was suggested by Mr. W. So thank you, sir. Thanks, Doug. Um, And this week, what we're going to be talking about is uh, Air Force pilot Captain Craig D. Button, who died when his A-10 Thunderbolt II better known as a warthog, crashed into the side of Gold Dust Peak in the Rocky Mountain Range in Colorado. Button had apparently gone completely off mission. He had no reason to be in that area. He kind of did. He sort of wandered off the reservation. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So before we get into the mystery, let's do a little bit of backstory here. Let's talk about Mr. Button. Why was he named Button? 
That was his last name. That was the name his parents gave him, which their parents probably gave before them. That's how this works, Joe. Oh, uh, okay. Well, one okay. of their parents gave them. One of them. Well, they theoretically, they were both married, so they they would have... Uh, this is... Never mind. Let's okay. just keep yeah. moving forward. How's this name thing work? <laughs> oh, it's going to be a long days. night. Um, so, no. Uh, Craig Button, uh, at the time of his death, he was 32 years old. He had been flying planes since his late teens, and he was always described as a, a straight shooter. He didn't smoke. He almost never drank. Uh, he went to college at the New York Institute of Technology, and while he was there, he was in the Air Force ROTC program, which, for people who don't know, is the Reserve Officer Training Corps. Um, and while he was there, when he graduated, he got a degree in aerospace engineering, which smart, doesn't... Smart guy. That's yeah. probably not easy to get. I don't imagine that is a, an easy degree, no. It's, it's too bad he crashed his plane, uh, you know? Got a lot going for him. He really did. Hey, did we say what year this is? This is in 1997. Okay, is when this whole thing goes down. Sorry, I just realized I had no idea what time frame we were looking. That, well, that's, yeah. that's because I was giving the backstory oh, first, and then sorry. we were going to jump forward to okay, the actual okay, time. Okay. So we are not yet in 1997. We are instead in the early 90s when he was in college. He graduated and almost it sounds like basically immediately turned around and went into the U.S. Air Force. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the way ROTC works, I think. They give you a scholarship, mm -hmm. and then you turn around, and you got to kind of join. You kind of got to repay it, you kinda, yeah, in a kinda way. Do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the thing is, is that he, he seemed to be totally happy in the Air Force. He, uh, initially, after basic training, he spent four years at Laughlin Air Force Base, which is in Texas. Uh, he was a flight instructor there. And uh, then uh, later, after that four-year stint, he transferred to davis Monthan Air Force Base, which is in Arizona. Uh, he was going to go to into the training program for flying the A-10. Uh -huh. I'd love to fly a warthog. It's a cool it's, plane. It's, we we should talk cool. about it. We should yeah, talk about it real quick. I don't know what... Well. You probably yeah. do, and I think a lot of people do know what the warthog is by look. You just probably don't know the name. Okay. It's a, it's a very distinct looking plane. It's a single seater, so there's no co-pilot. It's just the pilot. It's got kind of a stubby nose in the front and uh, uh, the kind of horizontal tail, the, the H-shaped tail, which means there's the horizontal fin and then a vertical on each side. Okay. Mm. But the most distinct feature is its engines, which are mounted on a, between the wing and the tail and above them, and it's they're directed mounted directly onto the fuselage. So it's got these big, huge turbines attached to the side yeah. of it. Yeah, and it's it's, a, it's, a, it's an ugly plane, but I, I I think it's pretty in its own way. And the, the other thing about it too is it doesn't have like your typical jets. It, unlike your typical jets, it doesn't have. The swept back stubby wings. No, it's they're straight. Nice, big, straight, horizontal, rectangular wings, mm -hmm. which is great because it gives it a really nice, really low stall speed. Yeah. Stall speed on that thing is 120 miles an hour, and that's without flaps. It, because I saw one at an air show once, and he flew right by in front of us really low. Mm -hmm. I mean, really low. And then it just, just turned his nose up like this and took off again. 
but I I can swear he was going a lot slower than 120 miles an hour. For folks who don't know, stall speed is when the thing stops flying. Yeah, it's when yeah, it's when it loses. It's when it starts yep. to fall instead yeah, of fly. Exactly. Uh, but no, they're they're really cool. They are they're very blatantly designed for one thing, and that is blowing stuff up, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got that stubby nose because it's got a giant 30 millimeter cannon in the nose, and that cannon, the, the fuselage of the body the plane is actually built around that cannon it's so huge Mm -hmm. the wings are meant to hold all kinds of munitions i saw a picture of one uh that was banking and it looked i think there was a total of 10 projectiles on it Mm -hmm. so it it was all kinds of different missiles and bombs and the thing was just like bristling for wars like don't mess with it it's gonna throw everything and plus that 30 millimeter cannon can really lay down some fire yeah (laughs) it drops an amazing amount of ammunition in a second Mm -hmm. it's it's really it's crazy shoots the depleted uranium bullets and uh, when they want to be armor piercing yeah 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 exactly and they they can take out a tank real easy Mm -hmm. and that's that and that's where that slow stall speed really comes in handy because if you're going over like a a column like a tank column or something like that you can kind of take your sweet time and just you know and get lots of rounds into each one of them Mm-hmm. So yeah, rather than these, these going are... as fast as you can and hoping that you hit them with something, yes. yeah. So and it has to... a military advantage. Yeah, and just to, just to editorialize a little bit, every periodically the Air Force announces that they're going to phase out the A-10. They've done it at least a couple of times now, mm-hmm. and you know I think it's a ploy to to just get Congress to pony up more cash. So the Air Force <laughs> just says, uh, you know, we want to phase out the A-10 because you know we just think that if we you know do away with supply lines and, and support personnel and all that stuff, it'll save us a bunch of money that we can put towards our fancier stuff and. Mm-hmm. And and everybody else says, "Are you freaking crazy?" And, <laughs> yeah. then, and then and then Congress ponies up a little more money. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they really intend to. They've Hopefully been in they service for to. a long time. Well, they're planning on keeping them in service for a whole lot longer. Well, but that's what I mean. Is they've been in service for a long time. They, I, as far as I look, when I looked at it, it doesn't appear that they're making new A no, they They're just maintaining their existing stock. Yeah. So. And they built a lot of these things. They did. They really did. Enough about the A ten. We're going to go ahead and we're going to jump to February of 1997. Okay. Um, Button started his A-10 training at Davis-Monthan on the 3rd of February. It's a 82-day program, so he should have been done sometime in the spring. And at that point, he was scheduled to stra- to transfer out to, oh, Joe, you're going to have to help me with the name of this air base. I think it's Spangdalem. Okay, I'll go with that, which is, an air- yeah, which is an air base in Germany. Um, so upon compl- uh, completion of his training, he already had orders to ship out mm-hmm. to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So he was expected to obviously pass his training. We're going to move about um, two months into his training to the 2nd of April, 1997. Button and two other planes take off. They have a mission uh, where they're going to fly from Davis-Monthan Air Force Base to what's called the Goldwater Gunnery Range, which is kind of near Gila Bend, Arizona. And for a bit of reference, Gila Bend is on the very bottom edge of the state. It's about 100 miles or 160 kilometers from the Mexico border. Mm -hmm. And it's also about 100 miles 
I believe it is west of the actual Air Force Base. So it's, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. And where's Davis Montham? It's about 100 miles or so from Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. Uh, that, and that's a that's an off the top of my head. Sure, ballpark. but it's in Arizona but somewhere. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Usually these bombing ranges are usually kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. That's well, where you want yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> For good reason. Because yeah. <laughs> um, you don't want a bunch of people around. So the, the U.S. Air Force, they don't typically make their practice runs a straight line you want to get some time on the stick so they would do, they were known for doing things like circling around the state and taking kind of a, uh, a roundabout route to get to the gunnery range and indeed that appears to be what they did before they got to the gunnery range uh, all of the planes in his formation fueled up so in air fueling which is not an easy thing we were just talking about this it's like trying to get a straw at 400 miles an hour onto something below you I can't it, it's Sounds amazingly well, the thing difficult. Below you is also moving at 400 miles an hour. But all the fair. wind speed is really what I'm I'm yeah, reacting yeah. to. And yeah. They probably don't do it at 400 miles an hour. No, but it's definitely hard though. It's I, crazy. I, I would think, in, especially in turbulence, and there's turbulence quite a lot of the time out mm-hmm. there. Yeah. So they they go through this fueling uh, process, and then button drops back behind the other two planes in a bit of a, a follow the leader formation. And this is expected. And then all of a sudden, he um, turns and he leaves the formation. And the mission leader sees him flying away and calls him on the radio. But he doesn't respond. As a matter of fact, he's turned off. This plane, by the way, has three radios on it. He turns off all of his radios or stops responding to them. And he turns off his transponders for tracking purposes. And he just goes dark and he just... Flies away and heads off in a, a northeasterly past, and he's gone. Okay. From there, a little puzzler there. It is, and the U.S. Air Force really didn't know what to make of it, and they had no idea what was going on. And it took nearly two weeks to piece together where he had gone and what had happened, based on sightings from people on the ground. Because, like we talked about, this plane is so recognizable; its profile is very unique. And then they started finding uh, records in uh, airfield radar logs to say that they had spotted him, though nobody evidently got a hold of him. Uh, That's interesting, isn't it? Doesn't that seem wrong? It seems a little weird that nobody contacted him or recorded, hey, you know, I see this weird plane. What the hell's going on? Yeah, I mean, it's (laughs) if there's a plane, right, basically a bogey. Uh-huh. That's so, not responding at all. And it's not, nobody's recorded a flight plan or no, anything like that. No, and like there's a report of it being like heavily laden with munitions. Are well, you going to be like, well, oh, they, they wouldn't see that on they the radar. They wouldn't report that, yeah. But you don't know, like somebody might call. I don't know. Anyway, well, the U- the US, even if not. U.S. Air Force thought that he had gone down somewhere in the area of where he had broke formation. Okay. So well, that is one thing to keep in mind. Even if they had didn't have reports of, you know, him being, having munitions or anything like that, it's still like a, a war vehicle. Mm-hmm. That's not responding. That's just very expensive vehicle. Yes, through. But that also, you know, any of the any of the airspace that he was flying through was like, oh, we don't know why that's there, but okay, 
You're not responding? No problem. We won't uh, send someone to figure out what's going on. You're definitely not going to do any kind of like terroristy, blowy uppy things. Well, now the uh, you know, a lot of the airfields he was going past. You're talking about people that pick them up on radar. Small airfields. Yeah, they, they they're small airfields. It's not like he was going past Denver International Airport and sure. getting picked up. And, yeah, um, certainly. Although that is the direction that he ends up going. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's because because they were able to piece all this together. We we have an idea of his path. So he after he breaks formation, he's spotted flying northeast past Lake Roosevelt, which is in Arizona, and that itself is about 100 miles or 160 kilometers northeast of Phoenix, and at about, and that's at about 1230, and then he's seen passing near Telluride, Colorado around 1 o'clock that day at 108 p.m., which is kind of a weirdly specific time, but he's spotted near Montrose, Colorado. And when did he take off? Uh, he took off just before noon, just several minutes before 12. So he made he made really good time. So in an hour and eight minutes, they were able to putz around and, and then do a refueling thing, and, and then he was able to take off? Half hour. Yeah. Well, by, no. by takeoff, by, by takeoff, I mean, when did he actually lift off from the ground? Air Force Base. I yeah. I have not seen the time that his his flight group left. Oh, okay. I, I didn't see that recorded, so I can't I can't answer that. Okay. All I do know is I know that the time that he broke away. Okay. So I don't know exactly how long he was in the air. Um, so he then at that point, like I said, he goes from Montrose. Uh, from that point, before that point, I should say, he had been going and basically a straight line. He hadn't really been changing elevation, just he's cruising. From here, his flying changes rather dramatically. He is seen flying in kind of a zigzag pattern, and he's changing altitude. I think it was anywhere from 16,000 feet to 4,000 feet. Not he's, a great idea in the Rockies. No, not a great idea in the Rockies. You're right. Um, so here's what his path is, is that after 108, he turns a few degrees more east. So now he's going even more easterly. About five minutes-ish later, he does a basically a 180 degree turn and now he's heading south and then about five minutes later he turns again and now he's heading northeast again for approximately another five or ten minutes and the, these are all approximates because it's based on you know sightings and stuff like that but around 1:40 in the afternoon the residents of Aspen and the area around it, they reported hearing a, a really loud explosion, and they said they saw smoke coming from the New York Mountain area. Which is not far from Gold Dust Peak. It's, no, it's basically right, right next door. Yeah, yeah but, uh, and how far is that from Aspen? Ballpark, I'm going to say that it's less than 50 miles. Hmm. That's a ballpark number off the top of my head. I didn't ever actually trace the how far it was because I never got an exact point for where he hit. In other words, I never went to the, the uh, satellite images and tried to find that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would ballpark about 50 miles, and I'm probably wrong. Mm -hmm. um, well, what obviously, as, as you've probably guessed by some of the things that we've said so far, what those people heard was Craig Button's A-10 flying into the side of Goldust Peak. 
It's 160 miles. Okay, okay. so uh, I was wrong. It's, okay. it's three times as far as yeah. I thought it was. But still okay. pretty dang close. Yes. But still very close. Scope so probably too far to actually hear the, the sound of the plane crashing. No, just the, I think that they could hear a bit of an explosion, you know, it's muffled over, yeah. over distance. I mean, yeah, echoes and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Or maybe something else blew up. I mean, things do blow up. They do. Um, Especially in the winter. Yeah. So Button hits, he strikes the mountain at about 100 feet below its peak or 30 meters below its peak. And by the way, the elevation of the peak of that mountain is around 13,200 feet, which is 4,000 meters. When... Well, by the way, were there, was there cloud cover? Uh, yes, there was some cloud cover. He was seen flying around the clouds and ducking through holes in the clouds and coming in and out. Mm. So that's why people think, well, it's weird that he was so straight and then suddenly he was flying around the weather. It's very strange that he would be doing that all of a sudden. But I'm guessing mm. if he's at a lower altitude, then it might become a problem at that point. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, okay, so, like I said, U- U.S. Air Force, it takes them a couple weeks to figure out what's going on. They then start combing the area, and they eventually find the crash site, and they're able to get people onto the mountain, which takes a little bit longer because the weather is really bad. In snow. April. It's April. Yep. There's snow. Yep. It's Colorado. Uh, when they get there, though, they they discover several things. Uh, the first of which is that they find the wreckage of his plane, and they find his body, and they find the computer that is on board the plane. But what they don't find is the bombs. Mm-hmm. He dropped them. Because, by the way, I didn't mention this, but his his training run was using live ammunition. Mm. And the Warthog was carrying four 500-pound Mark 82 bombs. What are those? They are they're called a dumb bomb. Mm-hmm. They are not a guided missile of any way, shape, or form you, you can. But these were not. It is a 500-pound bomb that, when it hits the ground, causes a big hole and just, blows stuff but up. But just a normal bomb. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's yeah. kind of a general-purpose okay. explosive. Not like It's not like of... a nuke or anything yeah. crazy. No, not yeah, conventional yeah. explosives. But, okay. you know, they still... I mean, obviously, I... still devastating, but... Oh, yeah. So they, they fling... The, I've heard they, they can fling shrapnel for, like, a mile. Oh, yeah. They... Yeah. When, We'll talk about some of the specs on them in a bit, but yeah. they okay. do they do some serious damage. I just wanted to make sure we weren't talking like no nukes, some no no yeah. crazy weapons, some nah. weird uranium trade or something like that. Nah, a dirty bomb. Yeah, um, I think it goes. It's pretty. It's pretty apparent here that the U.S. Air Force, as soon as they find everything and they figure out that the the Mark eighty twos aren't there, they start combing the entire area around the crash site. Oh, yeah. They they make a, a very, very intense... I'm, I'm guessing it's, you know, it's... Uh, I'm guessing that the kind of search they did was, you know, people on foot, not just circling overhead, because mm-hmm. they are using things like ground-penetrating radar. Within a several-mile perimeter of where the crash happens, there's a lot of little lakes in that area, and so they actually started sending divers into those lakes, with the idea that maybe the bombs dropped and they hit the water and they either were not activated or they did just didn't go off because they hit the water and sank rather than going in nose first. 
and and of course this search, you know, like I said, it took him two weeks to figure out where where he was. His plane had gone, and, it had and been then no storming, couldn't and, get right in right yeah. away. So it takes several weeks to get there. So we're looking at like a month or two later. Yeah. Um, because they they went and did an initial search, and then they had to stop because of the weather. And then when they got back there, because it obviously the snow melt had happened, the debris field has shifted downhill. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's why it was kind of tough to figure out oh, yeah. where everything was but they're just they're just looking everywhere because they they want to know where the hell are these bombs yeah they're I, not like yeah. tiny no they're not at all they're they're pretty big yeah and the nice thing about the mark 82 is that the pilot has to arm the bomb it is oh, not as if they are mm-hmm. flying around with something that it could just go off at any moment because that's just foolish oh hell yeah but they they were pretty sure that he hadn't uh, armed the the bombs, which is probably why they should just be laying somewhere and easily found. Yeah, it, it's unlikely because I mean they knew his, his, his approximate flight course, mm-hmm. and so I'm sure they flew over it looking for big craters. So that's one way to know that he didn't arm the bombs. Yeah. Um, now, there's a couple of things here that about it that I said the the flight computer on the plane was found, mm-hmm. and that would have recorded what he had done with the bombs. It would have it wouldn't have recorded say where he would have dropped them, but it would have said were they dropped and were they armed when dropped. I bet that wasn't the most weather resistant computer though. Oh, it also wasn't very shock resistant I'm either sure was, because good. because the impact destroyed it and they couldn't recover any data off of it. Of course not. Now, I I have read conflicting accounts of this next bit that we're going to talk about here, which is the racks on the wings of the plane. I've seen sources that said that they, the racks were not disengaged. In other words, think of it as a clamp. The clamp is engaged. It's going to be holding on to it and disengaged. It's going to be open. Mm -hmm. They said those clamps on the struts of the wings were still engaged. So he shouldn't have dropped the bomb. In other words, it couldn't, it's not as if when he drops them, they close again. Mm. Yeah. No. So, so in other words, I've heard it both ways too. Although if he had crashed with the bombs attached, they should have ripped free. I would imagine. But also, but also the, the the mounts would have been also seriously ripped and torn off too. Yeah. And I, it, the, the the accounts that's, that say that he released the bombs before, mm-hmm. I find I've actually found more credible than the other accounts. So yeah. I think he released them well before his crash. And and he may very well. And and that's that actually is kind of the end of the story, which actually leaves us with two different mysteries. Yeah. One, what uh, did did Button commit suicide? Because that's one of the main things you will hear. Why did he fly? What what happened? Why was he there? Why did he break formation? And two, what happened to the Mark 82s? Yeah. So we have two mysteries, and we're going to start with the first one that I just brought up, which is, did he or did he not actually commit suicide? Because that is the most popular one, and you will see a lot of reporting on it, and you will get a lot of stuff from the uh, the U.S. Air Force that seems to indicate that he did intentionally uh, commit suicide by mountain. Mm-hmm. Poor just, mountain. Just to clarify... Um, real quick before we jump into these, mm-hmm. he was like, a, like very talented, right? Like, he was a Air good Force pilot. like knew that he was talented. Yeah, good pilot from the get go. He was a good pilot. Yeah, 
He they was... don't let any idiot fly that plane. Right, but like <laughs> compared to his peers, was he like, you know, way better? He was a flight instructor for several years, which I would take to indicate that he was skilled. He really knew his stuff. Um and as uh, after that, I couldn't I couldn't comment on how he hey. ranked uh, among his his fellow airmen. Cool. Yeah, I would say he probably been flying for uh, since he was seventeen. He yeah, probably, he knew how to fly a plane. Probably was a good pilot. Probably yeah. a good plane, a good pilot. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. So first off, before we even get into the theories, I am going to say uh, reiterate that we, what we said earlier, which is he was considered a straight shooter. He didn't smoke. He didn't drink. And there is nothing that ever came up in his body that ever said that he had any substance abuse issues or that mm-hmm. he was drunk at the time or anything crazy like that. So those are easy things to just sweep out the way initially also okay. there was also no evidence of hypoxia right not no i i did i saw thoughts about that and we'll talk about that a little bit more later but i don't believe that that was the case mm-hmm. first uh first sub theory inside of suicide is the reason was family objections from all of the accounts that i've read button was excited about the fact that he was going to get to transfer t- and go to europe he, he was happy where he was, and everybody seemed to think that he was in good shape. But according to this theory, he was actually semi-secretly struggling with his family's religious beliefs. His mother and father were Jehovah's Witnesses, and they had been in that religion for, they'd converted about 20 years prior to that. Mm-hmm. Now, officially, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't serve in the mi- military. They, Yeah, pacifists. Mm-hmm. They don't believe in doing that. Um, it's against their beliefs. And... Based on his age and the how far back they had converted, I get the feeling that the family converted when he was a kid, you know, say 10, 12, somewhere in that age. Setting his belief system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that he actually became a member of the church, which would explain why he went into the Air Force. Well, did, uh, but his wasn't his dad also in the military? A World War II and Vietnam era pilot, yes. But that was prior to the conversion. The conversion. Mm-hmm. So he did that and he served his military career before finding his faith. Mm. According to this... Uh, the thing is, is that his mother, because of their religious beliefs, she was not happy about him being in the military, and she tried to convince him to leave the military on a very regular basis. Uh, in some families, that is known as nagging mom. Well, yeah. uh, I don't know how these conversations went, but I get the feeling that sometimes they weren't always the, the happiest affairs. But, you know, I can think of alternatives to suicide if you got that issue. Number one, mom gets your way. Number two, you just don't talk to mom that much. There's there's a number yeah. of ways around this, yeah. but we're going to continue on with it, even though Joe has a simple solution there. Okay. That's what I would have done. <laughs> so, theory goes, Button experiences a crisis of faith when he realizes, as some people have said, he said he was being trained to kill people. And it was this crisis that made him decide, instead of just simply quitting, to take his own life. I, to be fair, it's probably a little more complicated than that. I yes, Particularly I'm very. Was, I'm simplifying this a lot. Well, I just mean if he did the ROTC program, right? Mm-hmm. He owed the U.S. government a ton of money if he were to 
say, hey, I know you guys just paid for me to full ride through four years of college, but I'm not saying that he like actively owed, but I don't think you can just drop out of the military like no, two months out. No, not the way it no, works. No, but, but they, they don't full ride you. Believe me, I remember guys, I was in college at the same time as this guy. Yeah. And I remember the, the kids in the ROTC program when I was there and they, it was a, they got a healthy amount, but it wasn't as if the, the ROTC paid them a full ride because they, A, college kids are unreliable right. and they can't support every one of the little books. Well, okay, so but even but he did he 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 was required to serve a certain amount of time, and he would have owed them a lot of money that he definitely wouldn't have been. I mean, I don't kids don't go worked. into the That's... ROTC because their parents can pay for their college because they're from really well-off families usually, right? Because they need help paying for it. Well, sure. So there's a percentage, yeah, yeah. So I just, I mean, I think it's a little more complicated than like, oh, he could have just quit his job. Uh, well, no, I mean, nobody's saying he could have quit his job. Right. I mean, but his, um, even, you know, money aside, that's just not the way the military works. Right. You sign, you sign your papers. Right. You're, you're there you for four, four years or right. six years but, or whatever. Right, but, right. you know, there's, there's also the thing called the transfer. You can say, I have an issue. I am now, I, I've, I've taken on this faith and I cannot fly. And, you know, the military has to have somebody that cleans the bathroom. Well, he could have gone back to being a flight instructor. Yeah, he but, could have done a true. million things. Yes. But now here's the other thing is, is uh, from what I've heard, he said he really enjoyed blasting away with that 30 millimeter cannon. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah, well, well, let's, let's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's the quote here. And that's, you know, I mean. Yeah. Uh, Here, let's let's get to that right now. So we're gonna we're gonna go back to the family, which is the family had visited in March, both his parents, and they said it was a great visit, and he was happy, and there was no problems, um, there was no disagreements, and he apparently also he kept in touch with the people people that he had been renting from when he was stationed in Texas. And he had written them a letter, because this is back in the day when you still wrote real letters and sent them by mail. Yeah, I remember letters. Such an antiquated system. Oh, uh, but no. So he sends them a letter. Strangely enough, they received that letter on the 2nd of April, 1997, mm. which is a little weird. Mm. But uh, the letter says, actually, Joe, do you mind reading this? Flight is going No, no, in your <laughs> voice, not in your German voice. Okay. Uh, quote, flying is going well. I love the A-10. Most everything we do is low level. I'll be dropping live bombs this week. The gun is a blast. <laughs> My folks were down for a week just recently, and I took them to the Grand Canyon. Would you believe they had never been there before? Unquote. So that, that sounds pretty enthusiastic. That actually. sounds like a very excited, happy guy yeah. who's doing what he really likes to do. Yeah, well, mm -hmm. who wouldn't? I mean, you could blow things up and shoot things. I mean. Yeah, <laughs> while flying through the air? Are you yeah. kidding me? Oh, yeah, no, believe me. I had My dad was in the military for years, and he loved the mm -hmm. fact that he got to blow stuff up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I will just add to this theory the thing that we always say around suicides doesn't mean that he had to have been. I mean, you know, this isn't contingent on him have been you know particularly unhappy with that situation mm -hmm. he could have been hiding things you know people who appear happy kill themselves all the time it's true we don't want to belittle that no. but let's talk about some other theories yeah <laughs> so that is the end of that theory so we're going to go to uh sub theory two which is the jilted lover theory mm -hmm. i feel like every time we do anything that's like air disappearance or military or both, really, together, a military air disappearance. There's always the jilted lover, and there's always the next one. They're yeah. the two. Oh, well, well. what about the, the, the um, 
Naval ones. The naval ones always have it. Well, yeah. any, any... What about the UFO ones? Any armed... Half the US UFO right. ones have this. In, I'm, actually, yeah. you know what? We should just make this a standard filler for all scripts. Yeah, do all Because it's in all of them. Play, uh, actually, yeah. don't we just fill out a form anyway? Oh, yeah. we do. It's yeah. the uh, TPS report. That's mm. the one. Yeah, not the TSP, the TPS. No, yeah. yeah it's yeah. the TSP TPS. Yeah. That's the one we fill out. It is. Okay, so no, the Jilted Lover... According to this theory, when Button joined the Air Force, he had a relationship with another classmate, and according to this reporting, he kind of sort of asked her to marry him, and she turned him down. Oh, no. And that apparently, he took that quite hard, and it took him several years to get over. She apparently called him at the, in Christmas of 1996, and I don't know if they talked or it was just a left a message kind of scenario. I don't know. Um, I may be able to shed some light on this, having dated someone who was in basic training once, mm-hmm. which I think is similar to You're, this. Okay. You can't call them. They, I mean, well, they were both in the, in the service. Oh, they were both. She was also she was in also the program. In the, I don't she know. Was also, well, I don't know how that deals with at that point. But yeah, I, there, it's hard to get in contact with people who yeah. are in this sort of basic training. Well, situation. That, well yeah, this is this is well past his basic training. I'm sorry. Days. In any kind of training situation in the military, it is hard to get a hold of somebody. Mm-hmm. Quite okay. possibly, maybe not now, but maybe back 20 years ago. No, actually, it's still kind of hard. They yeah, they, they cut down the lines me. of communication. They yeah. really kind of you don't get you don't get to have your cell phone out there in the trenches. No, no, yeah. no it turns out that uh, Google Maps, not so good with the trenches. Uh, Neither is Siri. Okay, so no, what happens here is in 96, uh, apparently she calls. uh, He calls her back on the 1st of April or calls her. I don't think they had had contact between Christmas and then. She's unable to talk at that time, though, and she takes his phone number down, and then she calls him back on the 5th or the 6th of April, unaware that he he had taken his plane and gone AWOL. According to this theory, after we know this little bit about this lady, the theory goes that he realized that he was in love with her and she wouldn't talk to him. And that coupled with the fact, no joke, this is part of the theory, that he had bought a VCR and a copy of The Bridges of Madison County. That was what pushed him over the edge. That's so sad. Is that the last movie that poor guy ever saw? That's the one that he bought with the, the, the VHS player. And by the way, this theory... This comes from the psychological autopsy that was done by the U.S. Air Force. And I've never heard of a psychological autopsy before. Well, I can sort of see that. (laughs) Can someone please tell me the plot of Bridges of Madison County? It Uh, is. Even just the genre? It is a sad, love-not-meant-to-be movie with Clint Eastwood and some other um, actress who's Meryl Streep, I Meryl Streep, yeah. and they, they want to be, but their lives won't let them, and I never, I never saw that movie. I never want to. Oh, I, I, don't, I, I don't ever want to see I think I was forced to watch like 15 minutes once, and then I ran. Yeah, I've I, literally I, never heard of it, so no, there like, you go. It's got Clint Eastwood. You'll be I crying mean, for weeks. I'm a, no, I'm, I'm a I mean, bad girl, I guess. You are, but you know I mean? Seriously, to me... I uh, I don't want to see Clint Eastwood on the screen without a gun in his hand. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I mean, seriously. Really? Although his son, Scott Eastwood, I would see him any day of the week. All right, you two. Back on topic here. So we're going to move from that silly theory to another silly theory, <laughs> which is Suicide Sub-Theory 3, Gay Lover. Yep, this one's always in there as well. 
and I'm going to say right now, I couldn't substantiate this except for a few places which mentioned a supposed undisclosed U.S. Air Force insider uh, who said that the Air Force had discovered that uh, Craig Button was in the closet. So this is not one of the Air gay. Force's theories, then? No, this is something yeah. that came out and uh, and has been out there for a while. Sorry, that was a bad turn of phrase. Um, but, uh, no, this was out there for a while, and that's, it's really, uh, there's not a whole lot to this, Joe. Mm, Nothing really to either. back it up. Okay. It's one paragraph, right? Yeah, it's yeah. one and a half paragraphs, yes. And that's because I padded it with a little bit of history. Yep. Uh, so the story goes that one of Craig's previous lovers was planning to come forward and disclose their relationship. And today that doesn't seem like it's a big deal. I'm sorry, I'm air quoting, wouldn't be a big deal. It wouldn't be a big deal today. Legally shouldn't be a big deal, but... But at the time, this is 97, and in 94, Bill Clinton had signed into effect, don't ask, don't tell which said that if you were a closet if you were in the closet you could be a service member but if you were out of the closet you could not serve in any branch of the US military i mean it's it's yeah. it's a it's a huge known thing but that would have meant according to this law that means that this person coming forward would have been the end of his military career Dishonorable yeah. discharge, right? Um, I'm not sure if it would be dishonorable or John. No, not, no court-martial. No, no not, like, not, not by... I mean, in the days of McCarthy, yeah, that had totally been a court-martial, but not, not at this point. But I think... I, it was a discharge. I, yeah. It was definitely I wasn't an honorable discharge either, but yeah, I don't they, remember nah, the specifics of how they did it. Yeah, there was a, there's like honorable, general, and dishonorable. And I don't think they're going to waste time on a, on a court-martial. Even back in the old days, they just discharge you. Yeah, you know? send you on your no, way. No sense wasting time on a trial, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what about gay suicide pact? Have you thought, have you thought of oh that? Oh, my God. Yeah. The, no. Yeah. No, I haven't, and we're going to leave that alone, because no, that's not you. anywhere in here, but you just made it up for fun. This no, is, he just pulled fun. it from a different one, you know. Oh, yeah. that's, you're looking at the, the wrong TPS form. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was on the other one from last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Right. So that is the end of the he committed suicide theory. Let's now move into... Craig Button was murdered theory. Yeah. Because this one is, well, this is interesting is how I'm going to put it. There's a gentleman by the name of William W. Warwick IV. I've read some of his stuff. I have, too. I've read a lot of his stuff, actually. And he makes a lot of claims. Uh, He has connected this story to some UFO sightings, and he's, he's generally made a big stink on the Internet about it. So didn't he also try to connect this to like nine eleven? Uh, you know, he may have, and I probably just didn't go that far through his stuff. It's kind of hard to figure out how you could do that, but you know, he he is very creative in his ways. Mm -hmm. He is he's a very creative man. So here is what Warwick says. On the 13th of March, 1997, a series of unexplained lights are seen in the night sky over Phoenix. That is what is commonly referred to as the Phoenix Lights. Yeah, famous mystery. And it is a UFO sighting. It is something that we may talk about in the future. So I'm just going to give the barest, simplest description of the event, which is that stationary lights were seen and described. They They were first described as a pair, and then there was a third, and then a fourth light, and then they went out, and then a new set of three lights appeared. Supposedly smaller lights were peeling off of them and then coming back to them. And then 
There was also a triangular formation of lights that were seen in the sky at a different time and a different location of Phoenix. So there's this whole thing, like the whole city is freaking out because they see lights in the sky. That is the simplest version of the Phoenix lights. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, you know, I've read a little bit about the Phoenix lights, but actually it wasn't like everybody in the city saw these things, right? No, but a lot of people reported it. Yeah, a lot of people but, but did. I mean, but I mean, out, out of the population of Phoenix, really a tiny percentage actually reported it, right? I don't. I can't yeah. answer that. I don't know. I, Joe, I didn't do, but the basest looking into the Phoenix light because I was really focused on what this guy's theory was mm -hmm. to, for this. Yeah, I didn't want to cover the Phoenix lights. That way, we have it open to someday talk about it there. Oh, okay. We won't okay. spoil it. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna so no it spoilers now. from yeah. Joe. But yeah. I will, um, because here's what the U.S. Air Force says. They said that they actually had a set of A-10s flying a nighttime mission in the area at that time, and they're responsible for the stationary lights because what was happening is they were on a nighttime practice bombing run, but rather than dropping munitions or live munitions even more so, what they were doing instead is they were dropping flares. Flares. Yeah. Oh. It makes total sense. Yeah. Well, if you think about flares from a far distance on a parachute floating through the sky, you could see how people would say, oh, well, that's a weird as a stationary set of lights. That's mm -hmm. really strange. There's two. Now there's three. Now there's four. Totally. So this is this is the Air Force's description of the events. Warwick claims that it is a complete and total cover story and that the lights really are UFOs and that the U.S. Air Force is covering for some reason for the ETs that were there. Because, of course, they are. Because, of That's course, they are. They do, That's yeah. literally what the U.S. Air Force does. Mm -hmm. And uh, Button, he, uh, he was uh, possibly a member of the flight crew that was uh, covering or chasing the aliens. Mainly, he makes this connection, I think, because it was A-10s and Button's an A-10 pilot, but that's just my guess. Mm -hmm. um, but Button, hearing all of this stuff four years later uh, that's going on about the Phoenix Lights, decides that he's going to blow the whole thing wide open, and the U.S. Air Force realizes that their only course of action is to kill him. Of course. Of course. Aren't there Duh. better ways than this? <laughs> well... Here's the great thing. This is this is how he he makes a lot of suppositions here, and this is the one I like the best, which is they decide to simply remotely control his plane and fly it into the mountainside for him, thus silencing him during this this training run. So they make him do some weird behavior and then just fly away. Uh -huh. They uh, the U.S. Air Force then uh, they. Well, you know, actually, I guess this kind of goes in two different directions. They could have flown it into the mountain in Colorado, or they could have just crashed his plane during the training mission. That and would if have they, been simpler. That would have been simpler, because going on to Colorado is a giant pain in the butt. But then what they would do, remember, we found a plane in Colorado that was an A-10. They would have taken wreckage from an A-10 and deposited it onto the mountainside along with his body, and then later on, quote-unquote, found it to then keep their whole story stitched together. Easy. How's the sound to you guys so I, far? Uh, it's I don't a lot... know. Well, go ahead. I guess I would say like the zombie plane theory makes a lot of sense to me. This is something that they talk about. We talked about a little bit maybe with MH370 where they mm. are talking about with MH370. With Fox, yeah, you mean? No, that um, they would have killed him and then remote controlled the entire time 
from takeoff to landing. They so would the put whole a time dead the plane, body it wasn't in the actually plane. Uh, pilot controlled, mm-hmm. as in pilot in the cockpit controlled. Right, ever. Yeah. Um, and that they would have done the whole mission so that the other people who were doing the mission could have corroborated the story that, oh, yeah, he was totally in the air with us and he was alive. And then he, you know, went, then he went off and did his own thing. And like, who knows what happened and that none of them would be in on it, but that the higher ups would go and crash him into the side of a mountain, the closest mountains they could find, which is probably about Colorado. Well, no. here's, here's the deal. <laughs> probably about Colorado. <laughs> okay. The closest uninhabited mountains? You don't. No. You, you know, there's, mountains are not the only hard surface on the planet, believe it or not. Turns out the sure. planet itself is quite hard. Yeah. And, <laughs> turns out. Yeah. And, it, and it turns out for, for something like that, if you really need to kill him, you just, you just have, have your hitman stab him or strangle him. And in order to remote control a plane all the way to Colorado, you got to no, have somebody in the air with a controller and and and, and you got to have somebody who installs it on the plane. So Actually, there's there's a, a whole, whole group there's a whole thing that yeah, there's a whole lot. and I have not heard of this we are able to remotely control an A10. You would think that you would not want to have that ability on a plane so that your enemy could not hijack your own plane against you. Well, you're so, not going to leave that stuff just, you know, routinely installed, but that's right. my point is that in order to remote, remotely control one, you'll have to have a whole team of guys develop all this mm-hmm. stuff and install mm-hmm. it on the plane. Just to take out one dude. Yeah. and yeah, and, Or technically, possibly take out two, as we're going to find out. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. But uh, it'd be a lot easier just to put uh, um, put a bomb on the plane. Yep, Very yep, easy to do. You can have something that's, uh, that's, that's detonated easier. by an altimeter, mm-hmm. and you only need one assassin to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or better still, just murder him in a parking lot somewhere. And and that way you don't lose. Claim it's ex- a random crime. Yeah, you don't you don't lose an expensive airframe. Okay, so we're all in, in agreement that this is kind of fetched in the farest farest reaches kind of knows. the land. But I'm going to well, keep going with it. It's not even. It's not actually as absurd as, as the idea that they killed him somewhere else and then and they just got some random wreckage from an A10 and, and well, but let me let me let me keep going uh-huh. with this because this yeah. is where this goes. Is that this is, this Warwick, is Warwick again? Right? Warwick again. He is saying that. Okay, what's an obvious clue that they planted this thing there? Well, one of the things is is that the search helicopters, when they were looking for him, they saw paper fluttering around on the mountainside, and that's how they figured out, and then they saw the metal, and they figured out they were in the right spot. And he says, well, how can there be paper there when he he drove the plane into the mountain, and how would paper survive the obvious fireball that was going to happen? Well, I guess more of my question is, like, how would paper survive the, you know, onslaught of snow? It was a map. Supposedly, it was this, it was this flight maps that were, fly, that were just kind of blowing around. But, like, like snow and stuff. I don't know that it had been snowing or, or if it was just really cold, crappy conditions, but they said that there was paper flying around. Okay. And it was supposedly a map. Okay. But if we keep going with this, they then say that because um, there's further evidence that this is going on is that two weeks after he died or after his accident, he dies, uh, there is a U.S. Air Force captain named Amy Zvadoba. Uh, I'm going to hope is how you pronounce her name. She died in a A-10 accident as well. Um, and according to him, she, and this is totally according to work, I haven't seen this anywhere else, she was his trainer uh, when he was in Texas. Hmm. Oh. So that's, that's a, this is a, a giant leap of faith that he is saying. Now, there's a lot of problems. Obviously, as we talked about, there's the whole remote controlling of a plane is really weird. And I also, I also have to 
push back on the there would have been this giant fireball so there shouldn't have been any paper because one of the things that you need to have for a giant fireball is a fuel source when they did the math they figured out that at the very most, when the, his A-10 crashed into the side of Gold Dust Peak, it had maybe five minutes of fuel left, if any. So this thing, he was running on empty, which means when he went in, there would have been some fire, but it wouldn't have been as if he went in with a full tank, and it is a giant movie scene-style explosion yeah, that's to, it, that then incinerate uh, everything. Yeah, things don't, don't explode, generally speaking, like they do in the movies. No. But uh, autopilot is a thing, right? It is. So, like the autopilot could have been switched on. It doesn't need to be remote control, like falling around. Could have been autopilot. It could have been autopilot, and then he could have just run out of fuel. You're going into our next theory, actually. Perfect. Yeah. So let's 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 go there because the next Uh, the next theory is that he was incapacitated and or it was an accident. So the theory goes that um, there there is talk that he suffered some kind of accident. We're pretty sure that it couldn't have been hypoxia because that should have shown up in his in his blood work, mm-hmm. as far as I understand it, at least. That's what I heard. But too. for some reason other than that, he was rendered unconscious, and the plane was on autopilot almost the entire time. Now, that's kind of easy to discount because of the fact that at the last 20 minutes or whatever it was, he was seen changing elevations, zigzagging back and forth, going through cloud formations. Like, that doesn't, that's not what an autopilot does. Mm -hmm. Plus, autopilots don't shut off all your radios and your transmitters. Exactly. That's also a very, very good point. And if there was a problem, why wouldn't he have simply ejected the plane from the plane, because by the way, when you eject the uh, the, it sends out a beacon. You know, it's a "come find me, rescue me" kind of beacon yeah. automatically on purpose. Though, I seem to remember somewhere that pilots of the A10s could shut that off so that the enemy couldn't find them. But I, that's off the back of my head. I pull that. I'm not sure exactly. No, but that would make sense. That does make sense. I'm pretty but, sure that you can. Yeah, but I mean, this this whole he had some kind of accident that incapacitated him. And then he flew on autopilot till he suddenly woke up and then ah, crashed into the, the mountain. It makes me think of like something that would happen in the, the epic chicken fight scene from Family Guy. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like one of those random things. And they, they fall through and they hit a plane and, you know, something happens. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really out there. And there isn't... There isn't actually any evidence to support that it was just some random weirdo accident... Other, you know, I don't know. I mean, I want it to be just some random accident. I mean, I want it to be he was on autopilot and he came to and he realized he's out of fuel and he's trying to search for some place to land. But just nothing that really shows that's what he was doing. It doesn't make any sense because, yeah. like we talked about, he could have turned everything back on he, to uh, find somewhere to go. Yeah, he could have decided to go rogue and everything and somehow got lost in the clouds and didn't realize there was a mountain in front of him. He could have misjudged his descent because, like we said, he hit 100 feet from the peak. He could have yeah. been, let's say he was out of fuel and he was just gliding. He may have thought, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. Oh, oh crap, God. I don't got uh, this. Yeah. But yeah. then again, again, why not punch out? Why not get out of the airplane at that point? So, I, I, I don't know. It's, well, it's really if, strange. If he was, if he actually was in clouds, 
and didn't realize he was about to fly into a mountain, it's well, true. then boom. That's you know. a good point. If he was gliding through cloud cover thinking he was safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he missed yeah. his position. And it and could have been he yeah. needed to be 100 feet to the right or to the left of where he where he impacted. Um, yeah, I mean, that's so that's the end of did he commit suicide? Was he killed? Was it an accident? I just section? don't like any of those. I don't either, to be yeah. quite honest. I've ping-ponged all over the place on this oh, yeah, one. Yeah. No, it's inexplicable. Know. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to mystery number two, which is what happened to the Mark 82s. So the first theory of the Mark 82s is that he did not actually drop them. Like I said, the U.S. Air Force, they they scoured everywhere and they don't find them. Ground penetrating radar, metal detectors. They're pretty sure that the, the weapons aren't armed. The reason I say I think that they believe they weren't armed is that if they had been armed upon impact... They would have gone bluey. They would have gone bluey, and those that 2,000 pounds of munitions would have made a very big impact. Oh, 500 pounds? Well, no, you it's, mean five hundred times four? I, yeah, five hundred oh, times okay. four exactly. Sorry, I was doing math. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not known for doing math. You aren't. I'm not. I, I admit it. Uh, but yeah, so it's that th- that two thousand pounds of munitions would have made a big hole in the ground, and, mm-hmm. yeah. and I, somebody would have reported that probably. You, well, they should have seen that. It would have probably would have blown the snow off the ground. Yep. I'm guessing. Um, now, I went to the manufacturer's website because you can find this stuff on the internet mm-hmm. to look up what does the A two or the uh, excuse me, the Mark 82 do, and it blows it, up. It blows, it, yeah, they, they, are, they are engineered to blow up, mm-hmm. but they make, a, uh, they make a crater that is anywhere from 15 to 30 feet in diameter, or 5 to 10 meters, and they make a crater that is anywhere from 3 to 13 feet deep, or 1 to 4 meters. So a single one makes that size hole. All four together should have made a really big hole. Mm-hmm. Um, there now something I will bring up because this is something I thought about initially was well, what if the bombs didn't go off initially, but then in the crash and the heat of the fire, they went off, and that is something that can happen. There's a term it's called uh, cook off. cooking off, yeah, yeah, cook off, and that is when an external heat source or thermal source affects ammunition to the point that it sets it off, it makes it explode. Like, you know, it falls into the burning hull of a ship, and that, which happens in, in naval accidents. And eventually the fire causes those to go off, which is then a whole series of problems. Well, you would think that, except like we talked about, he had almost no fuel on, left on the plane. Yeah. So there wouldn't have been enough heat to cause cook-off because these things are rated for two and a half minutes of high temperature. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Well, plus also the bomb should have been torn off the wings when he hit, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. And those, you know, what are, you, what are we calling them? The, uh, the grabber thingies? The clamps? The clamps, yeah. The clamps! The clamps! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Give him the clamps. Uh, would have obviously been destroyed mm-hmm. if a bomb well, had Well, the exploded. wings should have been destroyed. There should have been evidence of mm-hmm. the explosives in terms of residual uh, chemicals. Uh, mm-hmm. Should have been should have been uh, obvious when they analyzed the parts. Yep. None of that was piece, there. Should have been pieces of shrapnel laying around. There should yeah. have been shrapnel mile or so away. But some closer too. Yes, so there's there's all these things that should, would indicate if they had gone off, and none of that indicates that that was the case, and or and if they hadn't gone off, they should have just been laying in the wreckage. So that means that 
the didn't drop them theory is kind of on shaky ground. So we're now going to go into he did drop them. Okay. I read a really interesting article which pointed out a really good thing that I had not thought of at all, which is the effect of that 2,000 pounds of munitions on his fuel. Mm. Not to mention the extra air drag. From well, that's, yeah, that's, it's, the drag is going to cause, is going to, you know, cost him fuel, and he probably could not have made it nearly as far as he did had those weapons been on board the whole time. Now, he, he only traveled about 850 miles, though, right? You know what? When I tracked it, I had it at 650, but I've seen it called 800 miles, so we're just going to stick with 800 miles. Okay. So, yes, he traveled about 800 miles total, which is, I mean, the the range, we were looking this up earlier, the range of a fully fueled warthog is something like 2,500 miles. Mm. So he obviously wasn't full of fuel when he went down, or when he started his journey. Yeah, apparently not. Yeah. So the the likely answer here then, based on that fuel consumption issue, is that he must have dropped them. And these folks really point out, uh, they make a good argument, which is that he probably dropped them right away because he was in an area that was known for being a practice range. True. So it's entirely possible that he could have dropped them unarmed. Let's say he dropped them unarmed and they fall into this, this firing range. They could have been buried by subsequent uh, explosions from other bombs that are dropped in practice runs, or maybe they were hit, a direct hit set them off. I know the chances of that are really minute, but it's something that could have happened. But Um, you wouldn't, and if they were live, good luck discovering that crater from the 8,000 craters that are next to it and saying this is obviously from Craig Button's flight. Yeah, the the other thing, too, is, you know, these things have fins on them. They're going to go in kind of like... At an angle. down, and they have a sharp little nose on them. Mm-hmm. They could just bury themselves in the ground. Yeah. They could. Actually, yeah. have you guys seen the... Did you ever do any looking at the fins that are available for these things? Mm-hmm. They What is it? The snake eye? Is that the one that they call, they they have? That is, um, it's just weird. Yeah. It's this fin that, you know, you think of fins on a missile, and they're they're upright, and it you know kind of guides it. Well, this is like actually... A dart. They're a parachuting fin, and they, they create drag. They flare out... And yeah. The wind pushes them, and it slows the bomb down. Yeah, it's not exactly a parachute, but, yeah, they flip it's, out, and there's this four of them, and they're just, you know, same, same place that the, the fins would be, yeah. but they, they slow it down. Yeah, and yeah. so it was really interesting, but that that is one thing. If, if it was in, if the Mark 82s were equipped with something like that, I wouldn't be as willing to say maybe they nosed it and buried themselves because those fins are meant to slow them down. Mm-hmm. I didn't see any mention that they had that special kind of. They didn't mention issue. anything in the reporting yeah. of yeah. what these things were equipped with, other, other than they were the basic Mark 82. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, it seems like that's what you would train with, right? You train with the cheapest. Oh, yeah. You don't put the fancy stuff, things on there. Right? We're going to give you the fully decked out rig the first time. Good luck. Perfect. Yeah. Well, they're, uh, yeah, the, the whole, the, the snake eyes, if that, I, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. But uh, yeah. yeah, the fins that we were are, talking about. Yeah, those are for really, really low altitude. They are in slow, in slow movements because the idea, for everybody that's listening, the idea here is that if this fin is not there, the bomb will drop and strike the target fast enough that it will throw shrapnel back up into the plane that actually dropped it. 
So that's why they're slowing it down to give the plane time to get away. Exactly. And so, at its yeah. low airspeed. Yeah, so he was only into his A-10 training course for, what, two months? Two months. So he's yeah. probably, and this was his first live ammo run. Yeah. Chances so are good is, he wasn't running those. No. Yeah, it was not a low-level one. No. Yeah. Okay. So which means that they should have had enough speed. To, yeah, possibly in a very tilled-up gunnery range. The, the things could have very easily buried themselves. Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't explain why, then, they would say that it didn't look like the racks had been disengaged. So that... Well, I, I don't know. The, the more credible sources I've seen say that the racks look like they, they, the bombs have been dropped. And, and I would yeah. believe that. But the, the racks not being disengaged idea leads us into our last sub-theory of what happened to the Mark 82s. And that is the he sold them or gave them away theory. And you will see this out there occasionally. And this is one of those theories that gets bandied about. And when it comes up, it's usually followed by that person, the name of that person's favorite terrorist organization. And the theory basically goes, Craig Button, he flies somewhere, he lands, they unload the bombs, and then he takes off. Okay, why he then takes off and flies into a mountain? Well, maybe he wasn't actually on the plane. Maybe he did actually punch out and he had a dead body in the cockpit. Or maybe he, you know, was a pig or a decoy or something like that. You yeah. know, so he got away a la D.B. Cooper. Uh, but, you know, you would think, well, the U.S. Air Force should know that, A, the frickin', uh, the the ejection seat is gone and this is a pig. But then again, hell, if we're going to keep going this way, maybe they're in on it. And uh. so they're covering the whole thing up, which adds even more layers of absurd complexity to this whole story. Well, you know, the, the cockpits in these things are not exactly roomy. You, no. You can't, you can't exactly. And, and also smuggling a corpse across the airfield and climbing into the plane with it, you know, with no, nobody noticing it. Yeah. What I was getting yeah. at is that if he, when he stopped at his clandestine oh, airport that's when they drop, the extra corpse in. that's when they loaded in the uh. extra corpse and hell, you know, maybe he did some fancy MacGyver WYSIWYG stuff with a computer and phew, it took off on autopilot by itself. And then the pig woke up and the pig was steering the plane. And that's why it went back and forth. Because, um, yeah. Huber, Wilbur, 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 oh. Wilbur realized that there was a problem. Yeah. I um I guess that was kind of the reason I was asking like was he an exceptionally talented pilot? It, was it possible that the Air Force was looking to do something kind of clandestine and they didn't they were looking for somebody to And do he this was mission, tapped for that? And he's tapped for that and they said we're going to pay you a bunch of money. Just get out of here. I don't think it's likely, but you know, that was I guess why I was kind of asking. I got you. So he went off and he went off and bombed like a cannabis farmer or something like that. Well, or just you know, they were trying to do it. Or they were trying to sell these munitions or whatever Mm -hmm. that he flew. It was some black black ops uh, black book operation of some kind. Something like that. Yeah, I don't it seems really unlikely. But literally everything in this entire story seems super unlikely, so I guess I'm willing just as willing to say you know, my my UFO theory is that he was abducted by aliens and they stole the munitions because they wanted to investigate what humans were capable of. And then they dropped him back into airspace, and suddenly he was like, I don't know where I am. I don't know what's going on. I just got abducted by aliens. Ah, into the side of the mountain. 
Well, if, yeah. if we're going to go with that, then he should also be shouting, why is this big chicken punching me? Yeah. Because that's just as likely. Well, they're all yeah. just yeah. as likely. I really... I, there, I, well, actually, there's another possibility. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe he uh, maybe he took something. Like, you know, and I, I don't want to... Don't laugh. There's always ergo, ergot, of course. But also... <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't supposed to laugh. Also, he could have eaten some mushrooms, not realizing that, were, that they were the special kind, uh, you know, or something like that. Or somebody slipped him some LSD. Yeah, I, there's always all kinds of weird. I mean, there's stuff right. like that that can cause a side. That, that is that is break. not outside the realm of possibility. Absolutely no evidence, of course. That's saying, and of course, they didn't find anything in his bloodstream. Yep. So, well, so that's, that's the hard that. part. In fairness, though, it doesn't always take drugs to have a psychotic break. He could have had a psychotic break. Yeah, it's true. He could have thought that he was being chased. That's why could have been hallucinating was, in some way, know, shape, or form. Doing these ev- evasive maneuvers and through the clouds and stuff like that. But it, it doesn't explain where the bombs went or anything. So yeah. Maybe the bombs will turn up. Maybe. I mean, they scoured those lakes, every lake around there, for example. That would have been a logical place for him to drop the bombs. It would have. In a lake. It mm-hmm. totally would have. But most most lakes and places like that tend to have very silty bottoms. Mm-hmm. They could they could vary. And it took them a long time to get around to searching those things. But they were using... It wasn't it as... Totally I mean, they were, they had divers. They were using equipment, you know, metal detectors and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You think that they would have found them. Well, and, they, and, and, and I know... They had I, metal detectors? Hmm? They had metal detectors then. I, I know that they were using metal detectors, and I remember seeing images of guys walking through water, and they had these weird handle contraptions, part of which were in the water because they were doing the searching, which I believe was some sort of radar or metal detecting device. I, I don't yeah. remember now that you asked me. If you hadn't asked me, I probably wouldn't be able to do it unprompted, but ah, okay. that's the way it always works. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, I guess I don't. I don't have a good theory for either. I don't either. No, me neither. All uh, right. It's, I think he just uh, went nuts. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's a it's a unanimous. It's Family Guy's it's fault. It's a unanimous UFO. All mm-hmm. right. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and give you the important bits that I know everybody likes to hang on for. First off, we do have a website. That website is... We do? We do. That website is thinkingsidewayspodcast.com. You can go there and find this in all episodes. There will be some links for our re- from our research for each and every episode. Of course. Uh, on there, you will also find links to merchandise and stuff like that. We are, of course, obviously on iTunes, and we are also on just about every streaming service that is out there. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to us on iTunes, subscribe, take the time to leave a comment and a rating. A if good you're streaming, rating. Five yep, stars. We, we appreciate those. Uh, if you're on a streaming service that allows you to do that, like I don't Google Play, I know everybody's using now, but I don't think it does a rating system yet. But you know, if, if what you're using does, please do so. Uh, now we're on we're on social media. We are on Facebook, where we have the Facebook group and the Facebook page. So like the page, join the group. Lots of fun stuff going on on the group. We are on Twitter, where we are thinking sideways without the G in the middle. And we are on subreddit, where we are thinking sideways. We have a subreddit? We have a subreddit. We're on Reddit. We have a subreddit. We are all over Reddit. (laughs) We are all over the Reddit. We read it everywhere. We are on the Reddit? Yes. Yes. Devin is turning red it right now yeah okay so 
If you want to go ahead and get a hold of us, you can do so through Facebook or the Reddit or Twitter. Or if you want something that's going to be uh, just directly us, you can always go ahead and send us an email. Yeah, that email, works. Email address is thinkingsidewayspodcast at gmail.com. And last but certainly not least, if you want to help support the show, we appreciate that. And there's a number of different ways to do that. Uh, on the right-hand side panel of our website, we have merchandise. So we've got links to both Zazzle and Redbubble where we have shirts and stickers and phone cases and all kinds of fun stuff. We are also, we have a PayPal account. So if you want to do a one-time donation to us, that's awesome. Ooh, that's cool. You. And there's a button right there to do it. Or if you want to do it on a recurring basis, you want to support the show, you can do that through Patreon, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. So patreon.com slash thinking sideways. And every time that an episode comes out, you have pledged a certain amount, and that is what you would donate to the show per each of those episodes. Yeah, just just for the weekly shows, not for the not for the shorts. Yeah, Joe says this all the time. We haven't done yeah. a short in forever. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> almost like a year. We should, we should probably do one. Soon. We yeah. do some, We've been we saying some that shorts, for a year you know? I think too. people miss our shorts. I, I don't. There's so many jokes there. I'm going to leave that alone. I know. All right. Well, we are going to go ahead and button this one up, and we'll talk to you next week. Ta-ta. I'm ejecting. <laughs>